Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, glad that you're here. Welcome to Northridge Church. And uh, we are at the end of a series that we have started uh, several weeks ago, very simply called Words. And what we've been doing for this series is quite simple. We've been taking every week and we've been looking at one word and one word only. Uh, now, if you want me to only say just a few words, sorry, that's not going to happen. That would be kind of in the miracle status category. Uh, so it's not going to happen today. But we do focus on one word each week. And today is the final week. This is the last word that we're going to focus on. And then we're going to go to a brand new series starting next week. And you got a little teaser on your chair. I'll get to that a little later. Uh, but we're going to move on to a new series. But today we're going to talk about a word that is honestly a word that we've probably heard of many times before. Uh, we've thought about, we probably kind of know what it means, but we don't think about it very much. But it's such an important word because it dictates everything that you see and how you think about everything. This word is perspective. Perspective. So a lot of you know that I was a high school uh, soccer coach here in Wanakee for several years. I coached one of the boys' soccer teams at the high school here in Wanakee. And uh, one of the hardest things as a soccer coach is that we have this penalty called offsides. Uh, some of you are like, oh yeah, offsides, that's the one I have no clue what it means. Uh, every now and then the flag goes up or they whistle and I'm like, what happened? He didn't even get touched. No, you don't have to get touched for offsides because very simply, to kind of explain it very simply, offsides is when uh, the offensive player, the one that's trying to attack the goal, is too far past the last defender when the ball is played forward, when it's touched and played forward. So yes, it's very difficult because you have to know where that offensive player was when the ball was passed forward to him or her. And so this offsides thing is very important, but it's also very difficult to call. Well, as a soccer coach standing on the sidelines, you understand that I'm not down on the far side on either end. I'm in the middle with my team. And so there are a lot of times that they call offsides on my team or they don't call offsides on the other team and I have an opinion and say, you messed up, right? And I get angry about that because they scored a goal and they were clearly offsides. The problem, of course, for me as a coach is what? It's the fact that I am looking from this angle, whereas the referee should be, and I say should be... <laughs> should be is a key operative word there. Be in the right position where they're in line with the last defender so that they can make that clear call. I won't tell you how often I think they're not in the right position to make that right call. But there's a lot of times that I think that they're onside and they weren't or thought that they were offsides and they weren't because they should be in the right perspective to understand where they really were and make that call perspective, the angle, the place from where you look at something matters, doesn't it? It matters a lot. So let's talk about perspective. What is it? Perspective is very simply this. Perspective is where you are looking at something from. It is the angle that you're looking at it from. It's the position that you're looking at it from. So we're talking in a physical perspective, but perspective also is how you're looking at something from a mindset. 
right? A, a filter that you see everybody and everything and everything in life through. A perspective is a mindset, it is a filter, it is how you are seeing something. Now, this is why when you're watching a basketball game or a football game or a soccer game or something like that and you see a pass or you see a shot and depending on where you are in the stadium or where you are in relationship to the field or the court, uh, and I've done this before, my son will be playing soccer and he takes a shot and I'm like, ah, and then it sails like way right. And I was like, man, I thought that was going in upper 90, like that was going to be great. And it's like, woo. And all the players on the field are just like, uh. and I'm like, man, I thought it was so close. You're right? Or the other team is taking a shot, and I'm thinking, oh, that's so way off, and then it goes in. I'm like, ah, oh, why is it? Because my perspective is off. My perspective, my angle is wrong. So perspective has a huge bearing on what we see and how we see it. So let's talk about this for a minute. Perspective, if perspective is how we see something, the kind of the angle at which we're looking at, then what does perspective determine? Well, perspective determines your perception. You know what perception is, right? Perception is what you believe you're looking at. It's what you think is true about what you're seeing. Your perception is dictated by your perspective. Think about that. If I'm standing here, uh, in fact, let me just use a very practical thing. I might think that I have decent height. The truth is, you all know I'm vertically challenged, but when I stand next to Tony Dunn this morning, which I had to do, I know how vertically challenged I really am. My perspective changed. I felt good, and then I was like, yeah, no, I've got a long way to go. Perspective changes your perception. So the question I have for you this morning is this, what dictates your perspective? If perspective dictates your perspe- your, your, like how you see things, your perception, then what dictates your perspective, where you're standing, how you're viewing it? I think we all know it's your belief system. It's what you truly believe is true. It's what you believe about God. It's what you believe about life. It's what you believe about what reality should be. Which will dictate where you're going to stand on an issue, which will dictate how you see that issue. Your belief system dictates your perspective, which dictates your perception, which is how you see things. Isn't this a fun one? Aren't you glad you came this morning? Perspective is a big deal. So what I want to do today is I want to jump into a story where Jesus changes some people's perspective. Let me tell you, I had about a hundred different stories that we could have chosen this morning. Because one thing that Jesus does, he does this all the time, he changes our perspective. So I want to dig into a story uh, in a moment. We'll be in Luke chapter uh, 13. So if you like to follow along on your, on your phone or in your own Bible, that's where we're going to be, Luke chapter 13. Uh, but this story, let me kind of set up the context. So this context of the story, it takes place on the Sabbath day. Now, when I say the Sabbath day, in our culture, that doesn't have a lot of meaning honestly, because we've kind of discarded the Sabbath day. This whole idea of setting aside a day for rest, what's that? Right? Rest 
and to worship God corporately together. That's what the Sabbath day is supposed to be. In our culture, we've kind of set that aside. But in the Jewish culture, that was not the case. The Sabbath day was set aside. You were not supposed to do any work at all. That was kind of the standard. You were not supposed to do any work at all, and it was for rest, and it was for corporately together as a group worshiping God. That was the two things that you were allowed that you were supposed to do on the Sabbath day. Now, for our Sabbath day, our Sabbath day we consider to be Sunday, but their Sabbath day was actually Saturday. Kind of weird, but that's true. That's what it was. And so this takes place on the Sabbath day, on the day of rest and the day of worship. And because it was the Sabbath day, we find Jesus and his disciples and a huge crowd of people in church. Now, they didn't call it a church. They called it a synagogue. But essentially, that was their church. That was their church gathering. It's where they physically came to a building to worship God together and learn about God. And so in this story, Jesus is teaching, and that's where we're going to start on the Sabbath day. Luke chapter 13, starting with verse 10. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, again, think church building, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. Wouldn't that be an amazing moment on the Sabbath day? Imagine all the people there, and all of a sudden, 18 years, everybody knows she's, been, she's had this problem for 18 years, and all of a sudden she's healed instantly. An amazing moment. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant. That means he was ticked off. He was angry. That's what it means. He was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. Can you imagine that? That's what he said. But the Lord replied, Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Jesus comes out pretty strong at times. You hypocrites. Each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it to water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies. But all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. Kind of an interesting story. It's not one that we preach on all that often. My guess is a lot of us in here have never even heard this story. It's not a famous one. It's not a popular one. It's not one that people typically choose. It's not one that pastors really dive into all that often. So let me share just a few quick thoughts about this story. First, Jesus clearly has the right perspective, right? He clearly has the correct perspective. He is approaching this woman with love and compassion, genuine care. He has the right perspective. He's looking at it from the right angle. 
There are quite a few people in the synagogue that day, in the church that day, that also have the right perspective because we find out at the end of this story that the people, they see her healed instantly. And what does it say they do? It says the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. They were excited and the woman is praising. I don't know what she did. I kind of see her like running around, you know, like dancing. She was probably doing the Macarena or something. You know, I don't know. Okay, maybe she wasn't doing that, right? But I'm guessing that whatever it was that she had never been able to do for 18 years, she was doing that. She was like, look at this, guys. This is amazing. She's rejoicing, and a lot of the people were rejoicing with her. But then there was a leader of the synagogue and some of the other people that was with him that they weren't rejoicing. They weren't feeling joy. They were feeling anger. Why? Because the leader of the synagogue had a wrong perspective, didn't he? He was looking at this woman not with care and compassion, but a problem. He saw her and he saw Jesus as a threat to the rules. Oh, no, no, we don't break the rules here. We don't don't do work on the Sabbath. And Jesus, what does Jesus do? Jesus calls him out, and what does he call him? You guys remember, what was the word that Jesus used? Hypocrites. That's not mincing word, by the way, right? Jesus could have said, hey, uh, you're out of line. So why don't you sit down and just let me, let me show you the right way here. He didn't say that. Jesus said, hypocrites. I'm guessing... This is not the only time I'm going to mention this. I'm guessing there was a pin drop moment there. There were, there were a few Jewish people in the room going, Oh, snap. Jesus just laid it down. He just called the leader of our church a hypocrite. Right? Now, we can laugh about it, but if you're in the room, Whoa. This was serious. Jesus was calling him out. And what does he say? How did, why does he say he's a hypocrite? Is he right? He's absolutely right. He said, some of you, some of you I know. And by the way, this is Jesus, so he actually does know what they did already. <laughs> so he can, and not only does he think he knows, he knows. And he's like, some of you already tie, untied your oxen and untied your donkeys so that they could go drink water so that they don't die on the Sabbath. And of course you would do that because you did that work because otherwise they would die. There are some things that are required on the Sabbath. And yes, I understand the law. Yes, I understand the rules. But you're a bunch of hypocrites because you will only do the kind of work that benefits you. But when it benefits somebody else, you're against it. Jesus just said, you're holding the rules in a selfish way. And understand that Jesus didn't have a problem with the Sabbath and rest and not working and making sure you worship God. He wasn't against the rule. He was against how the rule's being applied. That's a big deal. And so what does Jesus do? He changes their perspective that day. He changed their mindset that day. He, they were looking at the woman in this way, and he said, no, I want you to come over here, and I want you to look at her from this direction. 
I want to change your perspective. Now, understand, Jesus, of course, we know this. Jesus does this all the time, doesn't he? He changes our perspective. He, when he talked to the Pharisee, Nicodemus, now Nicodemus snuck in in the cover of darkness to talk to Jesus because he didn't want people to know he was talking to Jesus. But Nicodemus came to Jesus, and Jesus talked to Nicodemus about being born again, blew his mind. Jesus changed his perspective. Jesus changed Peter's perspective, didn't he? He changed his entire life. And because of that, Peter was a main impetus, the main tool in starting the new church that was going to be centered on Jesus. He changed the apostle Paul's perspective, didn't he? He was Saul at one time persecuting Christians, and eventually Jesus said, no, 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 no. You're going you're gonna to look at this from a completely different side. And he became a follower of Christ and became one of the major proponents of it. It's one of the reasons why we're here today, following Christ. Jesus changed the perspective of the religious leaders. He changed the perspective of the politicians. Jesus changes perspectives. He will change how you view something all the time. And how you view something matters because how you see something changes depending on the angle that you're looking at it from. Let me illustrate this. So I have this really quick video that will show you. It's less than a minute long, and you're not going to understand until we get to the very end what's going on, but you can probably guess, and you'll figure this out. But it shows you the power of perspective of how you're looking at something. Take a look. Isn't that cool? Some of you just like that there was a cat in there. <laughs> would have been great if the cat would have... <laughs> hairball right at that moment. I grew up having two cats. I know what a hairball is. Had to clean those suckers up. Isn't that cool? But here's what we do. Here's what we do. We don't like to change our perspective because we come in with the perspective and we say, my perspective set and my perspective is right. And so we go in thinking things like, I've always been taught that you only look at a swimming pool that's dry from the west. You never look at it from the north or the south or the east. And so I'm only going to stand on this side and look at it. It just looks like a weird blue blob with a number two on it. I don't know what you see, but I've always been taught you look at the, at the swimming pool from the west. So I'm not moving. Good, then you're never going to see it. Or we might say, I believe swimming pools are evil. People, people have always told me swimming pools are evil. And so I don't go near swimming pools. That's my perspective. Or, I heard on social media a few times, oh, here comes the truth. 
Because we all know social media is immediately true. Like, absolutely. Take it for fact. If you see it on social media, done. God's Word, for sure. I heard on social media that swimming pools are really dangerous for the South American skookachu, and so I am not going to anybody's house that have a swimming pool because they are insensitive. You know why I say these things, because we do them. I know why you nervous laugh, because you know what this means. Yes, our perspectives are dictated sometimes not by truth, not by God, but by some raving lunatic on social media. I can admit that I've been duped by some things on social media that I thought were true, and then I finally started digging really deep into it and realized not only is it not true, it is actually the opposite of the truth. Perspective. Perspective matters a lot. And Jesus wants to change your perspective. And the question I have for you before I move on to this, this last little part is this. Where do you get your reality? No, really, I want you to pause and think about that. What do you believe is true and where did that come from? What do you believe is true about human beings? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about the universe and about the world? Think about that. And then where, uh, let me ask you, where did it come from? Where'd you get that? Did you get it from a book? Did you get it from a social media? Did you get it from your friends at the coffee table? By the way, I'm one of those people that say the coffee table too, a lot, even though I hate coffee. I love people. <laughs> and so usually they want to drink coffee. And so I drink something other than coffee and talk to them while they drink their coffee. But where are you getting your truth? Where are you getting your reality, your perspective? Is it coming from God or is it coming from somewhere else? And it's not, if it's not coming from God, it is coming from somewhere else. Now, the truth is that there's another story where Jesus changes the perspective in a very powerful way. And this was, I don't know if this was, I don't think this was on the Sabbath. It doesn't say. We don't know. Uh, this is a story that is far more popular, far more famous. A lot of you have probably heard this story. But let me set up the context. So the Pharisees wanted to trap Jesus with a really, really hard question. They wanted to discredit his authority. And so uh, they, what they did is they caught a woman who was having an affair. She, was, she committed adultery. She caught her in the act of that. Okay, I'll let you fill in the blank, but that's what was going on. And they drag her out in a huge crowd of people, and they set her, stand her or set her next to Jesus. Huge crowd of people, group of Pharisees that caught this woman in the act of sin, the Bible would call this sin. So let's just make no mistake. This is She's in sin. And, and they bring her out next to Jesus, and they go in front of the whole crowd, and then they ask Jesus a really hard question. They say, Jesus, we just caught this woman committing adultery. It's not a question. We caught her in the act. It's very clear she's guilty. Committing adultery. And the law, the law says that you, all of us, should throw stones at her until she dies from her injuries. 
That's the execution means that we're supposed to do because she committed adultery. And then they say, Jesus, what do you say? It's a hard question. The reason they're asking this question is because they want to trap Jesus. And so they press him, they press him, and Jesus doesn't want to answer, not because he doesn't know the answer, he knows the answer. He knew the answer before they showed up. He doesn't want to answer because he knows they're going to feel very ashamed when he gives them the answer. But they press him, and they press him, and they press him. And so finally Jesus stands up. He was writing in the dirt, drawing something. We don't know what it was, but he was writing in the dirt, drawing in the dirt. And he stands up. And Jesus says to them, he says, let whoever here is without sin throw the first stone. Which one of you has never made a mistake? You be the first one. You throw the first rock. And I want to read for you what happens in that moment. Again, that was probably a pin drop moment, wasn't it? Listen to what happens as soon as Jesus says that. Let the first one, let whoever is without sin be the first one to throw the first stone. This is what happens. When the accusers, that's the Pharisees, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. The question I have is, why did the Pharisees leave? The Pharisees left, I believe, because they were so ashamed and so embarrassed when Jesus changed their perspective. They didn't like it. How many of you love to be proved wrong? How many of you are like, man, that is the best feeling in the world. I love it. I love when somebody changes my perspective and I find out I've been wrong my whole life. I love that. Me neither. In fact, I get angry and defensive and I argue about it, don't I? Why? Because it, it, it feels like I messed up. The Pharisees clearly messed up, and Jesus called them on it. And he said, oh yeah, okay, sure, yeah, let's execute her. So any of you who has never made a mistake, you've never needed forgiveness, you've never needed mercy, you've never needed grace, yes, pick up a rock and just chuck it at her right now. Go for it. Let's see it. See, what happens is they were looking at this situation with, with blinders on, with one perspective. They were looking from the wrong side of the table, weren't they? They were looking from the wrong side of the table. They were looking at this all wrong. In fact, I won't tell you what that is yet. I'll tell you what their problem was. I want to tell you what their perspective was, and it's a problem that we all have, including me. But before I do that, I want to show you one more quick video. It's only a few seconds long, but it shows you the power of the problem of looking at something, a person or a situation from the wrong side of the table and why it's important to change and look at it from all perspectives, but particularly from God's perspective because it will change how you see it.
Take a look at this video. Weird, right? Here's the truth, though. Some of us would swear on everything that what we see is, we know it's weird, but it's true because this is the direction I'm looking at it. We say, those balls are going uphill. I know it's wrong, but they're going uphill. And the truth is, no, they're not. And why is, does it look that way? It's only because of your perspective is wrong. And the question I have for you is how many things are we seeing in our culture today that are wrong and the whole reason is because our perspective is wrong? Is it possible that our entire culture is looking at all these issues from the wrong side of the table? Is it possible? See, what Jesus did in that moment with the woman that was caught in adultery, you know what he did? He called the Pharisees out for looking at this issue, looking at this woman, looking at this problem from the wrong side of the table. You know what they were doing? They, the Pharisees, were looking, and this is the same problem that I have, the same problem that a lot of us have. They were looking at the woman through their self-righteous eyes. You understand this, right? They were looking through their own goodness. I've never, they, they were saying this to themselves, I've never committed adultery. I've never been that bad. The woman clearly is worse than me, so she deserves to die. You understand that they are seeing it this way because they're comparing themselves to her. If the roles were reversed, they would feel differently, wouldn't they? They'd be begging for their life, wouldn't they? Yes, they would. The only reason they want to destroy her is to trap Jesus, and because they're looking through self-righteous eyes, we're good, she's not. We have never committed adultery, she has. We're clean, she's dirty. You understand. Which is why Jesus calls them out for their self-righteousness and says, oh yeah, so whoever has never made a mistake, you throw the first rock. Perspective changes everything. In fact, I would contend this, and now I am digging into very, very scary deep waters here. Isn't it interesting? I don't know if you've noticed this. Isn't it interesting that our culture, and I'm talking the powers in our culture, a lot of education, certainly in politics, laws, judicial systems. Our culture is pushing and preaching kindness. I just saw a, uh, an assignment that my son brought home just this last week. 
illustrates this thing. All the names of the class and kindness in the middle. Teaching kind. Kindness, kindness, kindness. Respect everyone for what they believe and what they're doing. We're pushing it, we're preaching it, right? Self-empowerment, self-respect. Pushing it hard. You can be whatever you want. Choose whatever you want to do. Do whatever feels right, you do that. We're preaching it, we're teaching it, we're pushing it, we're feeding it. Woo, spoon feed. And isn't it interesting that we have less kindness, less respect, more violence, less self-respect, less empowerment of people than we've ever had before. You understand mental health is tanking. Self-respect is tanking. Kindness has, has tanked. Can we be honest? Kindness has tanked. You all saw it. The award show, when you have somebody that has to walk up on stage and slap another one in front of, on live TV. And I know, some of you are on one side or the other. Some of you are with Will Smith. Some of you are with Chris Rock. And let me just tell you, both of them are wrong. Sorry to blow your minds. It's kind of like when I taught in North Carolina. They'd always ask me, are you a Duke or North Carolina fan? I said, I hate them both equally. I'm a Badgers fan. No, I did, I did that to them all the time. I taught high school in North Carolina, you understand. Like, it was religion. <laughs> I know, they just played. I got it. I watched. Uh, it was like I opened up a cavern, cavern and they were all going to fall into an abyss at that moment when I said, I can't stand either of them. I still can't. I was cheering for both of them to lose last night. <laughs> uh, slightly for Duke because I chose them to go to the final game, but whatever. Here's the truth, guys. We are preaching kindness and self-respect and self-empowerment, look after number one and all that, and yet we have less kindness and more violence and less self-respect than we've ever had before. People are tanking mentally and emotionally. Let me tell you this because I talk to people every single week that are dying inside, and it's because our culture is saying, look out for number one. Be kind to everybody else. Respect everybody else's opinion. But let me tell you something. You can cannot get to kindness if you start with yourself. You can't. Our culture is going down the tubes fast. I'm just telling you it's true. I think we all feel it. You cannot get to kindness and respect by starting with yourself. Because kindness and respect is putting other people first, first. And it's putting God first before everything else. So you guys got these cards on your seat. And uh, where we're going starting next week, we're going into a new sermon series. And the sermon series is Modnik. I don't know how many of you scanned it. My son walked in this morning. He's like, Dad, what is that? I said, scan it. He's like, oh, okay. So he scanned it. He looked at it. He's like, I walked back a couple minutes later. I said, what is it? He said, I don't know. You, you, didn't, you didn't say on the website. I was like, I know. You still have to figure it out. 
Now, this is going to be really simple. A lot of you in the room have already figured this out. You already know. Some of you already told me you know. Good job. Right? I'm glad. But what we're going to do in this next series is we're going to talk about the fact that God has a different way than our culture has. God has a different way to establish a kingdom. Do you know what this is? This is the word kingdom backwards. For the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about Madnik, which is the kingdom that God wants to establish on earth and forever. It's a different kind of kingdom. It's a different backwards, upside-down kingdom, but it's the right one. So I hope you join us starting next week. We're going to kind of work through the word And next week is Palm Sunday, then we're going to actually, yes, this includes Easter. We're not taking a break. This is a part of Easter. And we're jumping into this. Hand this out to people. See if they can figure it out. You can look really smart because you already know. Hey, do you know what Modnik is? No, I do. (laughs) Just remember humility. So this last Friday, just two nights ago, uh, my family and I, Laura and I, took the three kids to the For King and Country concert down in Chicago at the Now Arena. Awesome, by the way. King and Country are the real deal. They follow Christ faithfully. Uh, their music, their lyrics, it, it, just, it was just phenomenal. They did a phenomenal job. It was an amazing show. And it is just a show, but they're very faithful to who they follow. So that was really cool. But we were having a great time. They were doing all their songs and all this kind of stuff. And I honestly don't know what song they were doing. It was right in the middle of the concert. And all of a sudden, I just started bawling. I just started crying right in the middle of the concert. And it wasn't even one of those songs where it's like, get your flashlight out and do the thing, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know why we have to do that. But we all have smartphones. We have flashlights, right? And so it's cool. I I get it. Like you look around and like, wow, this is really cool. Um, So it wasn't one of those moments. It was just like a a fast-paced, here we go song. Again, I don't know what song it was, but it was right in the middle. And all of a sudden, God laid on me and he said, Brent, you're not finishing your sermon right. You need to do it this way. This was Friday night at the King and Country concert. And I thought, I'd don't think I want to do that. And it's not a big deal, but I think it's really important because I think it's something that we've discarded, kind of like the Sabbath. Can I tell you what I think is the most powerful and the absolute best way for us to change our perspective on God, on people, on our culture, on our universe? Can I show you the best way to change your perspective? It's actually quite simple. I don't see this in our culture ever. I think where our perspective is, we're looking down on everything. 
And God says, that's the wrong perspective. You need to be looking up. You need to humble yourself. Trust in the Lord. Surrender your ways to my ways, God says. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Admit that maybe your perspective is not the only one and probably not the right one because God is the only one that has that. Are you willing to allow Jesus to change your perspective? To humble you? Are you willing to surrender? In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to invite the uh, worship team to go ahead and come on up. And we're going to sing a song. They're going to sing a song. And instead of you guys singing with us, we're going to have you just remain seated and listen to the song today. But this song is... It's one that you've heard a lot. <clears throat> it's a song that you're going to know. But it's a song that sometimes I think we just don't fully listen to the words of this song. <clears throat> this song talks about who God says we are. Because the truth is we could think what we think we are. We could read books that say you are worth it and you get yours and all that kind of stuff. And some of you I know, you're reading those books. Okay, let me tell you that you don't need to get your worth from yourself because you are already given incredible worth from your Father, from God, from the Creator of the universe. And your worth, if you need a self-help book to prop you up, and I'm not saying that they can't be helpful. I've read some things that say, hey, you're, you're, you can be strong. You can, I, that's wonderful. But can I just tell you that you don't need to be propped up by an author or by a book or by somebody else. What you do need is you need the Father of the universe, the God of the Creator who gave you incredible uniqueness and special abilities and amazing things that are different than every other person. Not only that exists now, but has ever existed. There's never been you. There never will be another you. You are unique, you're special, and God made you that way. You already had worth when you started to exist and even before. But do you believe that? I don't think our culture does anymore. I believe our culture has passed God off. We have disbanded. We've set aside Sabbath. We've set aside God. We've set aside purpose. And we say self-empowerment, self-respect is the key. That's the thing. 
Well, th there's a reason why we have all these conferences and all these sessions, even in our own community, that say, make sure you take care of yourself. Make sure you do this. And, and, and the reason, and, and the fact is, we can't, we're doing so much worse. And those rooms, by the way, are usually empty. Have you noticed that? Largely. Why? Because we know it's an empty promise. Deep down, we know it doesn't work. I love one of the lines of this song. It simply says, the only thing that matters now is everything you, God, think of me. In you, I find my worth. In you, I find my identity. Are you willing to change your perspective? Are you willing to allow your identity, your purpose, your worth to be determined and dictated by God, not by somebody else? I want to invite you as we go through this song, after I pray, to just listen to these words. Maybe close your eyes and realize how much God loves you and how much worth you really do have, which is why we do need to put God and put others first. Let's pray. God, this culture is pushing and preaching against you constantly. It is slamming against you. It is pushing against the whole surrender and sacrifice, but it is instead, it is self-empowerment. Get yours, put you first. But the problem is we can't get to kindness and respect and love and all the other things unless we start by putting other people in our place. So help us to follow you. Help us to allow you to change our perspective. Help us to listen to what you say, God, what you say about us about who we are, about what we are, about what we can do. Because you created us with incredible worth, incredible uniqueness. We don't need other stuff to prop us up. We just need you. What do you say? I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.